Well, good to see you this morning. This morning, we are going to be looking at the second part of Jesus' statement. I am the light of the world. You remember last week, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We discussed that. And he is indicating when he puts a predicate, I am, and then something follows to describe who he is. He is identifying himself within the context of what the Old Testament scriptures say about God. Remember that. He is identifying himself from the Old Testament scriptures that speak about God or that God speaks about himself. So this morning, we'll look at what he's saying about himself in relation to how who he is impacts our lives. How does the light, how is Jesus being the light impact us? What does it have to do with us? So that's what we're discussing this morning. Father, we just continue to thank you first for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for bringing about in us all the blessings that have been purchased for us at the cross in the death of our Lord Jesus and manifested in the resurrection leading to the ascension and the glorification. Father, thank you for your spirit who now enlivens our hearts and our minds living in us manifesting this one who said I am father this morning continue to teach us enlarge our understanding and our experience of Jesus who he is what he's done Therefore, who you are, Father, and what you've done by sending him, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the last week, we, from John 8, 12, we saw Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We've dealt with that part of the statement. But then Jesus follows it up. Listen to what he says. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, obviously, and there's so much to talk about, we're just kind of skimming the surface. Light, when God says, or when Jesus says light, when the Bible talks about light in this context, not just turn on the light, but when he's talking about light about himself, he is talking about it in contrast to darkness, so that means this, that God is light. You remember in 1 John 1, 5, God is light. That's in contradiction to what? We are in darkness. 
Now, there's a spiritual reality there that, again, we're not going to plumb the depths of that. But simply put, God is light and we are darkness. And remembering that general context. So you remember when, when was the world plunged into darkness? God created the heavens and the earth. And he created Adam and Eve to be fellowshipping with him. To be able to walk in the light, walk in the presence of God's light in the Garden of Eden, correct? They were, if you would, of the light. They had fellowship with one another because their fellowship was in the light with Jesus. But as a result of sin, when did sin come into the world? What three words tell us when sin came into the world? Genesis 3, 6. The last three words of Genesis 3, 6. What? And he ate. At that moment, the entire race of humanity that was in Adam and the entire cosmos was plunged into spiritual darkness. You remember that. That's the context. So, in Isaiah 60, verse 2, I think I have it in your notes. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. So that says this, that everyone who was born into this world is born now into the context of spiritual darkness. Now that doesn't mean almost dark. It means what? Dark. When God says you're in darkness, what does that mean? Well, it's almost dark, but at least the nightlight you can see a little bit. In a couple of weeks when we talk about I am the resurrection and the life, we're going to make the point. God doesn't say you're almost dead. You're 99% dead. What does he say? You dead. How much is dead when God says you're dead? You're completely dead. There's no life. So the world was plunged into darkness and we entered spiritual darkness. That's the prophecy that Isaiah, that, that's the condition of the world that Isaiah is given by the Holy Spirit. So, but you read in Isaiah 9 two, God promises to dispel this darkness. By sending a great light into the world in the form of a child. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 9, 2. And then I'll skip to verse 6. <clears throat> the people who walk in darkness. Who walks in darkness? How many of us walk in darkness according to the natural? How many of us were born in darkness and walk in darkness according to the natural? Everybody? Okay. That means every single human being on the earth. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Now, here we see something for the first time. A great light is going to appear from God. Why does he send this light? Not essentially because we need the light. Why does he save us? Because we need to be saved. No, well, yes, but not essentially. Primarily, why does God save us? Why does God send the light? For his own sake. 
for the integrity of his purpose in creating us. You must remember this. And many believers don't quite get it. God doesn't save us because we need to be saved. Because you see, then if that's the case, then God has to do something as a result of something outside of himself. And that is never the case. God is never moved or motivated by anything or anyone outside of himself. Do you remember the example? I think I'll get to the end of this today. Do you remember the example of Lazarus? Lazarus, your good friend, he's dying. Come help. Now, typically, we would say, well, Jesus has to get up and help him because Jesus is his friend, et cetera. No, Jesus sits there for a couple of more days. And then it says this odd thing, because Jesus loved him, he didn't go. Well, what does that mean? Jesus loved him, therefore he didn't go help him. How can that be? Because Jesus loved Lazarus, because Jesus loves all of us within the context of God's eternal purpose. So that the Father's glory may be manifested in what Jesus does. God's love in Christ and in us and among us is always based in and manifests God's essential glory and his purpose. Do we see that? And so God sends the light into the world because in creating humanity, and he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Remember Genesis 1, God commits himself volitionally. What do I mean by that? By his own decision. He says, I'm going to create humanity, and I myself will guarantee that my people whom I create will be according to my purpose, and they will be my image bearers. So when sin comes into the world and people fall in their ability to be God's image bearer, God has already committed himself to send the Lord Jesus or send the Son in the incarnation to save us. Correct? Make sure that we understand that everything God does is as a consequence of his eternal will, not because we need something. What do we need essentially and only is that his will be done in us. And so the light is sent into the world. And this light comes in the form of a son. Look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is what? Given is what? Given. There you see grace. The son is given. A son will be given. So what happens? When does this light come into the world? When does this great light first appear? First of all, why does it say great light? It doesn't say great light because the light is so blinding. It doesn't say great light because, wow. Everybody can see the greatness of the light has to do with the identity of him who is the light. Do we see it? A great light. So when does that great light first appear? This great light. When does it first appear? When is this great light announced to the world? 
When? Remember in Matthew? Matthew 2, 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi. How many Magi? We don't know. All we know is there were three kinds of gifts. Could have been two, may have been 20. We don't know. The Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? How do you know that? Because we saw his star. Not a star, but his star. Look at the little words in English. Is this, you know, astronomers, was it this? Was it Andromeda? Or was it? I wouldn't be surprised if it was no existing or before or after heavenly body. It wouldn't surprise me at all. But what God did, he put a light in the sky. And this was a great light. Why? Because it was so blinding that it lit up the world. No. The greatness of this light when these magi saw it, it communicated to them by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, you see that light there? That means that the promised Messiah has been born. There is a great one who has been born who is being announced now by the appearing of this great light. They saw this light. And it wasn't just an ordinary light. There was something about it that created in them a great need and desire to follow that light all the way to the manger. For we have seen his star, not a star. You see how we get silly about Christmas time? His star in the east and have come to worship him. So in John eight twelve, Jesus tells us that this Great, he tells us that he is this great light. I am this great light who have come, who has come into the world to illumine the darkened hearts of every one of my people by giving them the light of life. Now you know what he, you notice what Paul says: their hearts are darkened in Romans one twenty one. Again, darkness in relation to God's light, death in relation to God's life. So what do we read in 2 Corinthians 4, 6? And I've said this many times. I've quoted this many times about this great light. For God who said what? Do you have it in your scripture right there? For God who said, let there be light. What verse is that? Genesis 1, 3. For the God who, God who said, let there be light has done what? Has what? Shown where? Where has he shown this? Come on. Do you see it? Well, read it with me. Has what? Shown where? In our what? Hearts. Our darkened hearts, Romans 121, have now been enlightened. He who said, let there be light, has now shown in our hearts what with what say it again with the light the great light with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ he who said let there be light has now shown in our hearts 
to do what? With the light of the knowledge. Jesus says, I am the light of the knowledge of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Now, keep that, those last few words in your mind before we get to the end, as we get to the end. The face of Jesus Christ. You see, this is what happened to the Apostle Paul. When Paul says these words to the Corinthians, I believe he's remembering this. And so there are many examples, but let's look at the Apostle Paul's life and look at when this great light shone to him, was given to him. Remember in Acts 9, 3 and 5. Remember this. As Paul was traveling, remember he's going to Damascus. Well, he says it, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. Why was he going to Damascus? He was going to arrest and put in jail the people of the light. He was trying to snuff out the light of the Lord in the lives of these people. He was attacking the church. And as he was gone, suddenly what? What? A light from heaven flashed around him and he fell on the ground. It doesn't say he fell off his horse, as some people say. He doesn't say that. And heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now think about this. This is a, a zealot. A Jewish Pharisee who is absolutely sold out for the protection of the God that he understands who is a mono, who is what? One being God. Remember, we talked about that Unitarian monotheism. And he is going to try to destroy anything or anybody who in any way suggests, even suggests, that God is not one. And he hears a voice and he sees the light. Now, here's what Paul knows immediately. I'm hearing the voice of God. D do we get that? It says from heaven, Josh. Joseph said, hey, Paul. Huh? From heaven. He knows it's God, Josie. He knows it's God, Shane. Why are you persecuting me? Now, think of how he must felt. I think within a moment, he is thinking about, I'm not persecuting God. I am, in fact, defending God, Linda. I am promoting the Bible. But he was promoting it in ignorance because he didn't have the rest of the story. Remember, Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. And so what is his question, John? Who are you? Can you imagine what must have happened in this man's mind to this man's soul? Think about it. We're too quick to go over the word. When he heard these words, I, I am. Do, do you see it? I am. Ego Amy, Jesus, whom you were persecuting. <laughs> Say what? Huh? What must have happened? Suddenly, his theological system 
came crashing down. Suddenly, everything that this man understood and practiced came crashing down on his head. Do we see that? This just wasn't a little turn of events or a little tweaking of his theology. This was a major eruption and reworking of what he understood God to be. It was a total renovation. Who are you? He says, who are you, Lord? He uses the same word, Lord, here as he uses in Philippians 2, 11. Lord Jesus. You see, when Paul saw the light, he also heard a voice. So we're connecting here the light and the voice. Because just seeing the light, would that have communicated to Paul what he needed to hear and understand? Would it? No. He had to have the light explained to him. He had to hear the voice. He had to hear the word of this light explained to him. Thy word is a lamp, a light unto my feet. And so here you have the activity of the shining of the light and the explanation and the receiving of what this light is and who this light is. By the word of God. Do you see both of them are coming together in this one verse? And as a result, what happened? Paul's darkened heart was illumined to be given the faith to believe that Jesus is the light of the world. Now, did you notice this? And, and I'm going to continue to, uh, you know, say something about these things. How many of you can see from the scripture and I ask you this question. Was Paul searching for God? Was he or not? No. Was Paul searching for Jesus? Was Paul saying, Jesus, I want to know you. Jesus, come into my heart. Now you hear you hear what happens. You hear how too many Christians say it this way. You see, you first have to seek for Jesus if you're going to have him. How do you know that? Well, the word says in Joshua, decide this day whom you will serve. You see? Well, whom is Joshua talking to? He's talking to the people of God. He's not talking to the pagans. He's not saying to these other people, you've got to decide if you're going to serve Yahweh. And if you are, you need to call on Yahweh. And if you do that, then Yahweh's going to come running and help you, don't you see? He doesn't say that. I am not here this morning because I sought Jesus. I am here because he sought me and caught me. May I say it again? I am here because he sought me and he caught me. Debbie, say it loud. I can't hear you, brother. I like you. Do you understand this? We are here because he sought us and he caught us. You see, Joseph, if you're a believer, God caught you, brother. You, you ain't caught nothing. 
Paul didn't search for Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I'm, 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 I'm searching for meaning in life. If, if you want meaning in life, if you want joy, if you want peace, everybody's searching for joy and peace. Well, they are, but not in Jesus. They're looking for it, but within the context of what they understand joy and peace to be. Do, do we see the difference? Too many Christian ministers will say, if you want joy and peace, and if you, that means you're searching for God. It does not mean that. Paul was searching for righteousness. Hmm? And if anybody's searching for righteousness, you must be searching for God. Therefore, he'll no. Paul was searching for a righteousness that he understood, not the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. I continue to do it because it's so ingrained in people. I found Jesus. Joe, Jesus found me. All I know is this. When I was first saved, I didn't know what Reformed theology was. I couldn't have told you who John Calvin was or Martin Luther or any of those people. I didn't even know Lakeview Christian Center existed. But I knew this. This is what I knew in, inside of me. God saved me. I didn't find him. He found me. I wasn't going after him. He was coming after me. It's so critical because it sets up the entire biblical theological framework in which we will walk, with, in which we will walk with God. Declaring him to be the source and the very life that we have. Giving him the credit for all of it all the time. Remember John, Romans 10, 17. For faith, you see, Paul was given the light, the word together. God created in Paul's heart. He created in Paul's heart, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. He created in Paul's heart the faith that was needed, that Paul needed to Receive Jesus. So what does it say? If everybody has a little bit of faith, and you've heard this before, how many have heard that before? Everybody has, God has given everybody a little faith. How many of you heard that before? So everybody can make their own decision. You've heard, have anybody ever heard that? Why does it say that? Romans 12, 3. For God has given Everyone among you, a measure of faith. Everybody has a measure of faith. Oh, really? Did you not read it right? The word among is very important. Everybody of what? Among you. Well, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. What is the context of 1 Peter 3? You, the church. You see, if Peter Davidson, he said, Peter Davidson said that he is not willing for any to miss this class. I am not willing that any of you miss this class. That's the context in which I am speaking. Faith comes. What does that mean? It's not residential or indigenous to me. It has to be given to me from 
the outside thing in order for me to have it. It has to come. Faith cometh by the voice and hearing by the word of Christ. Why are you persecuting me? You see, Tammy? Christ is speaking. Paul is just giving you the theological construct of what happened to him and what he knows is happening to every other believer. Psalm 119 I have here. Your word is a lamp into my feet, a light into my path. I think I quoted that already. You see, in this event, who is choosing whom? I have these two scriptures here. John 15, 16. What did Jesus say to these men? You didn't choose me. I what? Chose you. Now, we'll get into some of this a little later on when I talk about the resurrection. John six forty four. No one. How many? How many what? No one can come to me unless. You see the condition? You see the condition? There is a condition for being born again, you must be drawn by God the Father. And God the Father always draws those whom he has eternally known in a fellowshipping way in his own heart and mind. We have been the people of God in God's heart and his mind from the beginning. When Michelangelo Cars that wonderful sculpture. Remember David? Remember that? Where was this sculpture before Michelangelo ever picked up a chisel? Where was it? <laughs> what? In a, no, where was the sculpture? Where, where was the reality of the sculpture? Where was it? Come on. Come on. You know these things. What? In his mind, all we see is the sculpture is the reality or the coming forth physically of that which has been in this man's heart and soul. So how can we be in God's heart and soul the same way that that statue can be in that man's heart and soul before he carves it out? And all he was doing was chiseling it out piece by piece, that which is covering up the statue that is inside the marble. Isn't that what he's doing with us today as he deals with the issues of the flesh in us? Piece by piece, he's chipping it away called the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the same way that the light has illumined our darkened hearts so that we can now fulfill Jesus' purpose in shining upon us, so why has Jesus shined his light upon us? So we would become the father's children in reality. He shines his light on us as those whom the father says, Pharaoh Green, I want you to shine your light on him. And Jesus tells the Holy Spirit, shine your light on Pharaoh Green. Right? Shine your light. Jesus, I want the light to shine on Linda Roberts. So the Holy Spirit goes to Linda and shines the light of Jesus on Linda Roberts. Are you getting it this morning? 
These are the people whom the Holy Spirit has been sent to shine upon us by the command of the Lord Jesus because of the will of the Father. Jesus says, I will send the Spirit. You remember that after the resurrection and exaltation, he sends the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit doesn't come on his own volition, Eddie. He comes on the will of Jesus according to the will of God the Father. You see the order there. So shine your light on them. Now, when Jesus shines, the light of Jesus' face is shining in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The reason is that God's will is being fulfilled, but not just in me only, but that in me as a part of a very large company of people. So what does Matthew, what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? Do you have that verse in there? What is, isn't it Matthew chapter 5 I have in there? Yeah, 514. What does it do? Let your light, what light is that? We now are vessels of this light. We have this treasure. What verse is that? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure. What treasure? The light of life. The light of the face of Jesus. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, or some may say jars of clay, in our bodies. Why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So what does he say in verse 14 of chapter 5? Let your light. Whose light, Nick? Your light, but whose is it? It's yours by gift, but it is Jesus by intrinsic nature. Let your light so shine before men. Why? So that they may see what? Come on, isn't it in there? You, you can say something. That they may see your good deeds and for what purpose? And glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, everything, Anna Marie, goes back to the glory of God. Everything that God has done has one motive and purpose only. That God, who he is in himself, who he is in himself, this triune majesty, this triune God who exists eternally as three equal, distinct, divine persons, each one fully possessing divinity in himself, but not by himself, living in a eternal and an eternal relational fellowship of love. This is the glory of God, who he is in himself, so that they may see your good works and do what? See the glory of God. See the glory of God. Everything boils down to that. Now, so let's ask this question as we close. So who is this great light in us? Who is this great light? He is the light who has illumined my darkened heart. Can you say amen? It's okay. If it's a truth, it's okay to say amen. Is he the light who has dark, illumined your darkened hearts? Is he? Yes. 
He is the light who has shown in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God. Remember, we just read that in the face of Jesus Christ. Is he that light? When I look at my face in the mirror, and that's a challenge for me in the natural. When you look at your face in the mirror, the first thing we should see is not the wrinkles, is not the gray hair or the thinning hair, is not all the, what's wrong with this face? Hopefully, we can begin to readjust our seeing. So when we look at our face in the mirror, we are seeing the face of the glory of God. The glory of God in the face of Jesus. When you look at your wife or your husband or your children, do you see the face of Jesus? Oh, I know there's a lot covering it sometimes with sin, but essentially... Do you see the face of the Lord Jesus in your spouse, in your children, in your parents, in others in the church? We need to be concentrating of sight on whom we see when we look at our and others' faces. Amen? He is the light of the gospel. Remember, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whose, talking about the devil, the unbelieving, in whose case the devil has what? Blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not what? See what? Y'all need to know these verses, that they may not see the light, the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. God's glorious image is now residentially fully in this risen and exalted man. And that glory is now residential in us by the Holy Spirit. He is the light of our salvation. He is the light of our hope of eternal life. He is the light who has poured the love of God into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He is the light in whom God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into, the, into his glorious kingdom. It says a little differently there, but I'll put it that way. He is the light of our fellowship with God the Father, and also he is the light of our fellowship with one another. He is the light, the life of life. And finally, he is the light of of the eternal city of God. Listen to these verses as I read them. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. And think about this. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, this is in there. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. How many of you can say amen? Listen, folks, Jesus is coming back. We don't emphasize that enough. I saw a new heaven and new earth, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. Remember that voice from the throne? Remember that voice? That's the same voice that spoke to Paul. 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or the moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God has illumined it, the light. And its lamp, the light, is the Lamb. I am the light. He is the light of the eternal city. And we shall see his face. When your loved one, whoever he or she is, has not been with you for a while, you can text and email all you want, and that's nice. You can do all this FaceTime and all that. That's nice. But what are you wanting mostly? To see your loved one what? Face to face. Ah. When you see that one whom you have been missing for a long time face to face, that makes the difference, isn't it? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. One day, because my light has shone in your hearts and has given you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in my face, because of that, I guarantee you will see my face one day. We will see the face of our Heavenly Father on that day. Amen. Next week, I am the door.